to introduce uh, today's speaker, um, Professor Simon Burgess um, from the University of Bristol. Okay, before we start, can I remind everybody to turn your um, mobile phones to silent, please? Um, so, uh, Simon is Professor of Economics at the University of Bristol, and he's Director of the CMPO, which is the Centre for Market and Public Organisation at Bristol as well, which is an EES or C-funded research centre. Um, he's also the Director of a Centre for Understanding Behaviour Change, which is funded by the Department of Education. Um, he completed his degree in Oxford in 1987 with um, Steve Nicholl. Uh, Simon would describe himself as a labour economist. Um, I would urge you to um, have a look at his um, website. Um, he's got uh, numerous publications um, in the areas of economics of education, including market-based education, uh, such as school performance tables and so on, all of which are um, of great interest to us here in Ireland at the moment. Um, he also works on ethnic segregation in schools, which is very interesting following on from um, Sandra McNally's presentation last week, and the, ethnic, um, the educational performance of um, minority students. Um, so Simon's presentation today, um, and I am going to use my joke about the Ireland-Estonia match, which is using the uh, England football uh, team to identify the education production function, student effort, educational attainment, um, and the World Cup, so yeah, it's just quite appropriate that it's today of all mm -hmm. days, and um, I know that you're a, a huge sports fan. So, Simon, without further ado. Okay, well, thank you very much for that introduction, and um, thank you very much for inviting me here uh, and for organising such amazing weather. Uh, I know it's almost always like this in Dublin, but um, uh, that's great, thank you. Um, yeah, so, uh, and good luck tonight. I can't honestly see anyway. Who knows? You said that about the I told you yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Um, okay, so, so this is um, joint with uh, Rob Metcalf at Oxford and Stephen Proud, who's with me in, in Bristol. Um, and although it's a kind of, you know, sort of a slightly tongue-in-cheek title, it's meant to be uh, a serious paper. Um, <coughs> so uh, I hope you find it of interest. We, we're still working on this, so any kind of comments would be and the suggestions would be very welcome. Okay, so the big overall question is, how do we improve attainment in schools? How do we improve children's educational performance? And we have uh, investigated lots and lots of things that are going on in the, in the educational production function. There's no end of papers on class size. Does class size matter? Um, uh, more recent literature looking at teacher quality, how important and how variable are teachers in terms of the, the quality of uh, the effectiveness in, in raising students' attainment. Um, school resources more generally, peer groups, family income and so on and so on. Cognitive, non-cognitive abilities, <coughs> the number of books at home, all of these things we're probably used to thinking about. But there's hardly any effort, there's much less uh, evidence on basically the one thing that the student themselves can actually control, which is how hard they work, whether, whether they put the effort in, whether they study hard for their, uh, their exams. So, so this is really quite an important question. Does studying hard pay off? We, we kind of really would like the answer to be yes, and if it's no, we certainly shouldn't tell anyone out there, um, otherwise we're going to have no end of problems. I think probably what part of the reason why uh, this hasn't been studied that much 
<clears throat> is that it's very hard to think about uh, uh, a, a, an empirical study that would be able to get at um, causality, would be able to sort of identify an exogenous effect of uh, a change in effort. Okay? Essentially what you would need, you would need something that at the margin changed the, the relative value of effort and leisure. Okay? And that's precisely what we're going to do here. We're going to, we, um, <coughs> going to try and quantify how much student effort matters, how much it matters whether you work hard or not. Okay, so we have a sharp, exogenous and repeated change in the value of leisure. And this is going to allow us to, um, by, in relative terms, sort of the, the value of studying, the value of uh, time spent studying. And we're going to look at the impact of that on educational performance. So this sharp, exogenous and repeated change comes about just by chance in England because the two uh, world's most watched football tournaments happen to overlap in part with the really crucial exams in England. Okay? Um, and that's what we're going to use. England, as it says here, is a nation obsessed with football. <coughs> um, we're going to measure performance by, uh, uh, I guess, one of, you know, one of the best ways of measuring student performance. These are universal tests. They are taken by everybody. Um, they are very high stakes. They matter a lot for the pupils in terms of either continuing through education or um, uh, getting jobs. They matter also to the school. Okay? Everyone takes a set of compulsory subjects, but everyone takes all of these exams. So what, why are we bothering? I think the first question is, well, does, does effort actually matter? Um, I think, I'm, I hope I'm going to convince you that it matters quite a lot, and it matters more than quite a lot of other things that policymakers have introduced to try and raise attainment. Um, for those <coughs> people who we uh, uh, surmise um, saw a substantial decline in, in effort, um, the, the impact on their exams is really quite substantial. Um, something like uh, 0.2 of a standard deviation of student level scores. That's an extremely large number. For those of you who work in uh, economics of education, you will recognize that. <coughs> um, sometimes it doesn't seem like a very big number for people not in that field, but it is a very large number. It's quite a lot larger than a number of different policies that have been tried. Um, so for example, uh, one policy in, in England was the literacy hour, um, and that produced um, uh, improvements in scores of 0.06 standard deviations. So 0.02 is a very large number. I think this has implications, which I'll spell out at the end, uh, for um, policies to try and improve effort, so uh, particularly around incentives. So we're actually hoping to start a, a field experiment where we provide incentives for students for higher effort and see if that actually does uh, lead to uh, an increase in their attainment. Thinking about school policies as well, thinking about um, how we can organise schools in order to increase students' effort, so not through incentives, but through more sort of uh, bureaucratic or organisational procedures. And I think this also has, um, perhaps gives us a different way of thinking about some other results. There have been a number of studies in the United States recently looking at uh, what are sometimes called no-excuses schools, the uh, Knowledge is Power program, the KIPP program, 
have been studied by you know some of um, some of the world's best applied economists, angrists, and so on, um, and they have found really huge effects of going to those schools, sort of 0 0.2, 0 0.3 standard deviations. Um, what's going on there? What is it? What is it about it? So one possibility is that those schools produce greater effort, either through um, a really uh, uh, inspirational school ethos or through a more kind of, um, you will do this kind of thing. Harvard Children's Zone is another, another example. We also have, so that's kind of the main motivation, but there's also a, a kind of a local policy issue. Maybe we should just bring forward the summer exams a few weeks, either every year or in, or in tournament years. This would, on average, raise overall attainment by 0.02 of the standard deviation and would raise it by more for particular groups, so particularly uh, poor boys. So <coughs> this policy would uh, raise the average and reduce inequality and focus those gains on particular groups that we're interested in. It's not obvious to me that there are any long-term ongoing costs of doing this. There are obviously transitional costs, but uh, something to think about. Okay. So now I'm going to kind of get into a little bit of a description of, of how we go about this. Um, please ask questions or make comments as, as I go along. Can I ask actually, you know the 0.2, does that affect girls as well or just boys? So, so the, this number here, I'm, what I'm saying is here, okay, so the, the, the short answer to the question is this seems to matter for girls as well as boys, but it matters more for boys than girls. But the, the separate point I'm making here is kind of whatever the, we estimate that a big decline in effort for whatever reason has that effect on scores. But this particular intervention seems to matter for both boys and girls, but more for boys. Okay. So this, this is, we think, is well suited to a causal study. All that matters is whether you were born and took your age 16 exams in an odd year or an even year, in a tournament year or a non-tournament year. <coughs> Nobody can affect, <coughs> well, neither the students nor the schools can affect the timing of these exams. They are scheduled for the same period of time every year. And it's clear that the... Okay, so we don't observe effort. So this is an intention-to-treat study. We are looking at the impact of all of this coverage um, on your exam scores. The only way that we can conceive that could possibly happen is through that you watch telly, you don't study, you mess up your exams. Um, the actual treatment depends on your, your interest in the sport, and whether you completely ignore it and just carry on, and maybe you actually do better because all of your friends are watching telly and you're not distracted and you can just sit down and study, or maybe you're entranced by it's really, really important to you and you forget everything else. So we're expecting a vast amount of heterogeneity, okay, and we, we will see that. Okay, I think I've said most of this. So these are the, the GCSEs, <coughs> the end of compulsory schooling. They are always scheduled for May and June. Um, I, think, I think once we've kind of mentioned this idea to people, they said, oh yeah, I always wondered whether that mattered. So in a sense, I think we're taking an idea that perhaps quite a few people have had in, in very general terms, and we're seeing if it actually contained any, any meat. Okay, so we've got the data on exam timetables <coughs> for each subject for each of these years and compare it with the tournament dates. Now what's really nice, and I guess we, we didn't necessarily think this was going to be true when we started, is that the exams overlap in part, roughly half and half with the tournament. So most students will have some exams before the tournament and some exams during the tournament. So it's not simply a comparison, a difference between years, it's a difference in difference. 
we can look at the within student variation between exams before the tournament started and after the tournament started. Okay, yeah. So <coughs> uh, I'll go a little bit of detail in a minute, but essentially these tournaments, the, the World Cup and the European Championship occur, they each occur every four years. So there is a one of those going on every other year. So each year is sequentially a treatment year and a control year. So we can look at a difference in difference in design. design. So we have this within student variation during the exam period. Some exams take place um, before the tournament. Some take place during the tournament. So we can compare that difference in performance between late exams and early exams between tournament and non-tournament years. Okay? I mean, I think we'd all expect there to be a difference between late and early. Some people might, um, some people do learning by doing and they get better and they work out, figure out how to write essays and, and they get better through the exam period. Other people might just get really tired and worn out and lose enthusiasm. So the within-student variation between late and early exams could go either way. I don't really have a prior about that. turns out that on average people get better. But we're looking at that late-early variation between years. Okay, and we're going to use seven years of student subject-level data on practically all the students in England. We're going to think about selection issues. So maybe one of the, one of the things you're, you're worrying about is, well, perhaps some students can select away from uh, subjects with exams late in the period. And if it's kind of all of the bright kids who sort of think about that idea and do early subjects, then I'd have a problem. So we're going to think about that. Okay, so uh, good question. The, um, the three compulsory subjects, English, Maths and Science, uh, are always early, apart from science, in one year. The, um, uh, the optional subjects are vary and also change. So uh, for about half of our subjects, they change between being early and late from year to year. Okay, so uh, there isn't really a model, but I'm just going to go through very quickly what we, how we kind of think about this, uh, then tell you about the data, and then the results. Okay, so this is, this is embarrassingly simple. I just want to go through it to kind of pick out the three main things we're going to talk about. So your uh, attainment depends on your effort and your ability. <coughs> Why do you bother? You bother because having a higher level of attainment gives you a higher lifetime income. Okay, uh, you exert effort, but when you do so, you miss out on something else. You pay a utility cost. So we just have these three functions. We have, an, a, fun we have a function that converts your effort into grades. We have a function that con converts your grades into lifetime utility or lifetime income. And we have a function that says how much you value effort by other things that you could do. All of those three functions can vary by, the, by individual. So like I said, we're going to really make a play on allowing as much heterogeneity as we can between individuals. Um, you know, there's no assumption at any point that everybody likes football or that everybody cares. You know, this thing can vary hugely. <coughs> okay, so the first of those is, is the, the cost of effort, so the value of time. By spending an hour studying, you're spending an hour not doing something else. Okay? That could be many things. It could be sleeping. It could be going out with your friends. Okay? It could be anything. Um, and I think we want to think about effort here in a fairly sort of broad sense. 
Um, so it's kind of sitting down and it's trying hard to focus on what you need to do, your revision. It's all equally trying to shut out distractions like the rest of your family downstairs shouting someone's just scored. It's trying to make an environment for yourself where you can study. So okay, it's quite... I, remember, of course, we don't observe effort, so at no stage am I going to try and measure this. I'm measuring whether there's stuff going on in telly that you might be interested in and your exam results. Okay, so it's effort in a bro very broad sense. Clearly, the, the value of um, your leisure time uh, is going to very likely depend on a set of sort of observable and unobservable characteristics. We're going to allow that. Um, <coughs> the, the key fact, the thing that's kind of going to identify this for us is that there will be some individuals, but not all individuals, for whom the value of leisure increases when one of these tournaments is on. Okay? And we're going to allow the impact of the tournament um, on this value of leisure to vary individual by individual. We, we can, in a sense, we can distinguish between the pre-tournament build-up and the, the in-tournament action. That's not going to be a huge, uh, a huge point. Okay. How much you value attainment, what's the rate of return to your grades, that's obviously also going to depend on a set of observable and unobservable individual characteristics, so we need to take account of that as well. So it's not the case that everybody necessarily has the same rate of return. Then what about the attainment technology? How does it convert effort into grades? Again, that's going to uh, plausibly vary by people. It's likely going to vary by your ability. Okay, and that's one thing that we are going to talk about uh, as we go along, namely that <coughs> an hour of um, effort is probably going to be more productive for more able students than it is for less able students. Okay, and that, that's one interpretation we're going to use later on. It may also vary by school, school being a proxy for the quality of the teaching that you're getting. Um, we know that exam marks as a whole have been drifting up in England, whether that's real or grade inflation, I don't need to worry about. We're going to take account of that. Uh, student performance may vary through the exam period, just talk through that. Um, so we, what we're going to allow, in general terms, for people to have, for each individual to have a different um, uh, a relationship between their performance on early exams and late exams. Um, or rather, very closely defined different groups. I should say that these year effects, um, for almost all of the analysis we're doing, we're looking at this within individual variation. Okay, so obviously the year effects net out of any in within year within individual variation. So these are not playing a big role uh, in what we're doing at all. Okay, <coughs> so this is what we end up estimating. This is, your, this is your grade, this is your mark for student I uh, in year T <coughs> and month N. So when I say month, I mean is it early or is it a late exam in, re in relation to the, um, uh, the tournament. So this is your ability, uh, your measured ability. This is um, other stuff about you, so gender, ethnicity, quarter of birth, disadvantage, that kind of thing. Individual effect, uh, error term, and then uh, set of year dummies, whether this is a tournament year or not. Set of month dummies, so these are completely unrestricted. And then this is the, the football stuff. This is saying <coughs> if it's a tournament year, 
then regardless of the month, there's this kind of uh, stuff going on, this build-up, this punditry on telly, um, and this is going to have an effect dependent on you, your interest in football, and your ability. Okay, so this, what this is doing here is it's saying the, the, the cost in grades of an hour's less study is going to vary by your ability. And then this is the effect of the tournament uh, itself. It's a tournament year and it's a tournament month. Okay, that's potentially going to have a different effect, again, depending on your individual idiosyncratic taste and your ability. Okay, so, so one worry might be that some specific students, and let's say particularly low-ability students, um, avoid selecting options with late exams. Okay, that's, that's possible. Um, <clears throat> and that might be a problem if I'm saying that people doing late options do worse. Okay, this seems very unlikely. Um, partly because I said in, in an answer to a previous question that a lot of these subjects vary. Okay, around half of our subjects vary in their timing between being late, as I'll define in a minute, and early, from one year to the next. So even if you were trying to strategize this, you'd be really kind of stuck because you could never guarantee it. Uh, second point is the GCSE, year la uh, the GCSE program lasts two years. You have to choose your subject, your optional subjects, sometime before that. So in a sense, what, what we would be the argument would have to be that people are choosing their options two and a half years ahead of the time they're doing their exams in order to think about this exam clash. However, um, uh, we think it's unlikely, but we actually just tested it. Um, <coughs> so we looked at a difference in difference comparing the prior ability, that is to say the age 11 ability of the kids that we're going to be looking at their age 16 tests, comparing the uh, average ability of people choosing late options to people choosing early options, okay, and then comparing that difference across tournament and non-tournament years. And we use, for prior ability, we use their score in the Key Stage 2 test, the, the age 11 tests, which again are compulsory and national. The coefficient is, is positive, first of all, so that goes the wrong way for a story that would inconvenience me. It's also extremely tiny, and it's not significantly different from zero despite having over 12 million observations. So it's, it's just not there. Okay, so you would have to, you, if you were going to kind of push this story as a problem for us, um, you'd have to argue that differences in unobserved ability are behaving completely differently to those in observed ability. Okay. Just uh, picking up on your point that the GCSE program lasts two years, the concern that I have, and you might you might talk about it is that um, effort over that entire <coughs> two-year period is bound to be important, not just effort during the exam period. And de a devil's advocate point of view could be that you're getting at some kind of a cramming um, story rather than effort over the entire uh, course of GCSE education. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We, we, we are focusing on a very <coughs> specific um, and narrow period of time. So this is, it's very high value effort in the sense that putting in that time then is very important. But you're completely right. All of the other, you know, it's most of the rest of the sort of the, whatever it will be, 18 months or something, is, is important too. So uh, I don't know what the opposite of 
devil's advocate is, but if I was going to really big this up, I could say, okay, well, this is the impact of effort over one month. Why don't I multiply that by 24, and we'll get a really big number? That would obviously be completely crazy. This is very high-value effort, but I think it means it's an underestimate. Um, and if someone basically didn't work at all during two years, you know, they'd do even worse. But you're, you're so completely you right. Carry continuous assessments. For example, our tier students would build portfolios and these analytics with a small percentage of yep. language tests will have you know, oral exams. Yep, yep, no, you're absolutely right. There's, there's these, um, uh, these courses have an element of coursework and an element of exams. And the element of coursework varies. Um, we, we have some numbers in the paper. The, um, on average, coursework, at least for the, um, the compulsory subjects, is about half of the total mark. <coughs> we have the total mark here, as I'm going to explain. So again, I think, and, and I am going to do this, I'm going to say that the impact on the actual exams is going to be about twice as much as the impact on the overall score if coursework is half. Okay, so, um, so uh, yeah, these are, our, these are our two tournaments. Um, so I'm kind of prepared here to give this talk in America where they probably haven't, you know, it's not such a big deal. I'm sure you know all this. Lots of people watch it. Lots of people watch both of them. They are the, um, we have some, we have some uh, information in the paper about the uh, top 10 most viewed programs by week. Over the over this span of time, in, in, over these seven years, and the, the the football is kind of most of them. Okay, so at least half of them every week over this period of time. So they are watched very very well, and we all know it's all in the newspapers as well. These are the timings of the four uh, of the four uh, tournaments within our within our data. So they typically start. Um, so this one was May thirty May first. Well, this was basically all of June. This was half of June and a little bit of July, 9th of June to 9th of July, 7th of June to 29th of June. Um, the good old England football team qualified for three of them, but not for this one. Okay, so uh, 2008 could be quite an interesting year um, in terms of our data. One of the things that would be nice, um, of course, the, the time zone for this one is very different to the time zone for this one, these ones. It would be really nice to be able to do something about that. We haven't kind of figured out how to do that yet. Um, in the sense, that this one you're either you know you're awake half the night or you're up incredibly early or something. Any other countries you have the So, so I think that the the problem is is more with the the educational data than than the. Uh, I don't believe that Wales was qualified for any of these. I'm not going to risk embarrassing myself by trying to no, remember no, 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 no. okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there, there is no suitable <laughs> well it's, a, it's an interesting fact you see I just um, okay uh, there is no similar data in Scotland at all full stop so I can't do anything about Scotland again something kind of that we would like to do but haven't done yet is to think about Wales on the grounds that uh, we do have similar but not the same data for Wales and Wales <coughs> has not qualified um, for these tournaments um, but obviously has an interest in football. So that would be something that we could look at. These are some uh, well, television data as it says. These are, we haven't really kind of finalised how we're best going to show this but this is um, uh, differences between 
viewing in June, viewing in April, trying to, the difference trying to sort of pick up general time trends. And these are the tournaments, 2002, 2004, 2006. 2007 ought to be down here. Okay, so I don't really know what's going on in 2007. 2008, okay, is, is the year when there was a tournament but England didn't qualify. So the fact that it's down here is our basis for uh, explaining why we're going to treat 2008 as a non-tournament year rather than a tournament year. Was the coverage as much in 2008? Like, did they show as many hours of football in your room? Okay, so I think... Did they just ignore the tournament? Which uh, no. That, I remember. <laughs> um, it, was, it was still on tally. It was still <laughs> big. Whether it was as big or not, I can't remember. We, we do have in the appendix of the paper, which I can look at later... Um, like I say, the top, the top 30 uh, TV programmes. And I think 2008 was probably, it certainly has some, whether it has as many or not, I'm not sure. It's kind of interesting though, because but my recollection is that they, 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 they showed pretty much all the games in 2008, right? Um, now, so there was as much football on telly as there was in, say, 2006. The difference in 2006 was that there were, whatever it was, four England games. So what you're picking up then is, is four two-hour periods, right? Between the difference between 2006 and 2008. That's only eight hours mm -hmm. over a whole month, which yep. isn't an awful lot. Yep, yep. No, I agree with that. I mean, so we, it's not, it, it's kind of about the, um, but it, you know, as you know, people will watch, do more than just watch the 90 minutes of the England game. They will kind of be talking about it with their friends. They will, uh, you know, I don't know whether they read the newspapers, but you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about it. You know? Yeah. Well, it's taking time away from doing something else. I, I, I'm very happy with the idea that people will watch somewhat less undefined than in 2008 than in the previous years. But it may not, it may, you know, it's not got, I'm sure it's not going to go to zero. Mm -hmm. which no. I, See, the point I'm trying to make is actually supporting your paper, because I think, well, what I'm trying to say is that the, the amount of time the difference between, say, 2006 and 2008 in terms of the amount of time that, that people will take out from their study time is actually quite, quite a small amount of absolute hours. And yet you're picking up these effects, mm -hmm. which is so suggestive. Yep. That, that feeds into kind of this quality of time that you're really trying to argue for. This is kind of high productive study time for that. So you have a relatively small amount that actually really support the hours. Wouldn't it be And the agony and the ecstasy, you know, you're just not in any fit state to do anything. So I would love to have more detail. I would love to be able to sort of, you know, give you some more detailed data on this. And we do have the we do have the program by program information in the in the appendix. But um, uh, in the at, the at the end of it, we do not measure hours of effort. So all we can do is kind of we've got this big thing going on on tally and your test score and. You can make up your own, I'm sure there's a link, you can make up your own story of what's going on between them, but it seems to me that this is probably the most likely one. Okay, so these are the, these are the uh, dates of the exams, um, which I won't kind of trouble you with. They're all about the same every year. And um, uh, percentage of exams during football, 61, 49, 48, 46. So slightly higher in 2002, but otherwise it's about half of the exams 
unweighted by students, just percentage of exams are during the, the tournament itself. Okay, so <coughs> the data we're using, administrative data, it's the National Pupil Database, uh, and in particular the pupil level annual school census, now just the school census, PLASC. Um, this covers all state schools in England, and uh, all state schools in England actually educate 93% of all pupils in England. So it's essentially all the pupils in England. There's around half a million pupils per cohort, and we have data from 2002 to 2008, Obviously some students we lose for a little while, Either it's just a data error, or they're in the private sector for a while, or they're abroad. But we're just going to take students that are identifiable in the state system throughout. So we have, uh, yeah, we have seven years times about half a million, so we have about three and a half million students. The structure of the attainment data, uh, exams are nested in subjects, nested in students. Students typically take seven or eight subjects, of which three are compulsory. Um, we know the, the overall grade for each subject. So we know that you've got an A star in maths, you've got a C in geography, whatever it is. All of these subjects are, no, that's not true. The subjects in general are assessed by a mix of exams and coursework. Art, I think you mentioned, has no exams. Um, <coughs> others have a lot of exams. We know the fraction of coursework overall. Now, we know the dates of each exam. We know the exact date of each exam. Uh, so we can measure how many overlap, what fraction of exams for a course overlap with the tournaments and which don't. But we do not know the mark for each exam. So we've had some people with some really nice ideas about what happens on the, in the exam after a big game, after the final or after an England game or whatever it is, which sound like fantastic ideas, but we can't do. Because although we know the dates of the matches and we know the dates of the exams, we know the overall grade for each subject, but we don't know the grade for each exam which is obviously a shame. Do some of the subjects have multiple exams? Yes, most of them do. Yeah, almost all of them do, in fact. <coughs> um, I think they all do. So it's administrative data, so it's not survey data, so we don't know things like the education of your parents, household income. Uh, we know gender, ethnicity, within your age, free school meals, special educational needs, English issues and additional language. Uh, obviously your test scores and we know which school you go to. So the dependent variable is the score that you have in these high stakes exams at 16, the end of compulsory schooling. Um, have this for each subject. Okay, so we normalise the scores separately for each subject to try and, um, well, hopefully to separate out the, any differences in the difficulty of the exams from their timing. So we normalise each uh, subject separately obviously over the period as a whole, not year by year. Um, I don't know whether you can read these numbers, I hope you can. This is just describing the data. <coughs> these are all of our <coughs> students, and these are the 81% of the students who have both early and late subjects. There are no students who only do late subjects, because as I said, the uh, compulsory subjects are early. So the ones with both early and late are slightly less poor um, uh, and do slightly better, but only slightly better than everybody. So the people doing only early subjects uh, yeah, are slightly poorer. Okay, but they're not a, not a big deal. Okay. 
So I'm going to um, spend like uh, just a little bit of time talking about the aggregate data and simple differences. Spend most of the time talking about these differences in differences. Uh, a few robustness checks. A little bit about what it all what it all means, as it were. So we need to uh, bring this up to date. But this is the uh, just this is 18 observations. <coughs> this is as aggregate as we can get the data. So this is the so GCSE scores have, as I say, been trending up. So this is the growth rate. This is the annual change in the percentage of pupils obtaining at least five good passes, so five HCs. And GCSEs aren't others. Correct. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean by obtaining? Do you mean like it's just pass? Uh, yeah, grade C or above. <coughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So they, they drifted up over time. Um, and this is going back way beyond our um, pupil level data to 1990. Um, these are the, the tournament years have got a dot, and I think I think you get the impression from the data that uh, tournament years see faster growth. Sorry, slower growth, slower growth. Non-tournament years get faster growth. Um, but I've just written it for you here. On average, the annual change is one and a half percentage points in tournament years, and 1.63 percentage points in non-tournament years. So in 1996, has it gone up? Say it again, sorry? From 1995 to 1996, yeah, 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 and then... It's kind Which, of, for the rest, the rest of you, me. <laughs> well, compared to 95. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true, I agree. Um, it's one data point, you, you're right. Uh, you might think well, it might be lower. I, I, I can, that would be, yeah. That would have the biggest yeah. effect. Yeah, that's a good point. No, one, no one's ever pointed that out before. It's a good point when you think about that. Um, yeah. I, I can't do anything else more with it, because that, that is oh, the yeah, only yeah, piece no, of data no. I know. But it's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, we do. We need to sit the last couple of oh. years on it quite right. I don't have 2010 yet, but we do have 2008. Okay. <coughs> so what we're going to do, first of all, is just look at some very simple differences. Just take a group of students um, and find, in a very coarse, general sense there, uh, uh, comparatives in, between tournament and non-tournament years. So... Um, this means that it's the whole effect of the tournament as opposed to just the within-tournament thing. Um, but also, it's not, this is not going to cleanly identify what we want. So I'm not going to spend very long on this. Because also, this simple difference is going to uh, be confounded by possibly different populations and also any general change in t test scores and so on. Okay? So this is, this is not cleanly identified. So we have uh, 12 uh, groups here. We have... Uh, Non-core, poor, female, male, and then three uh, groups of prior attainment, lowest, middle, highest. Um, and this, so uh, a number, this number here, <coughs> for example, is the difference in the, simply the difference in the average GCSE score in terms of student level standard deviations between um, tournament and non-tournament years. So negative means... Um, they, this group, which is non-poor, high-ability females, 
did worse in tournament years than non-tournament years. Okay? So there's a reasonable spread of positives and negatives. So these don't all fit our uh, story by any means. Um, they're typically more negative for boys than girls, and they're typically more negative for the poor than the not poor. But I repeat, this is, this is just to show you these and show you that on average, um, three of these groups, we see a negative number, here is a positive number. Um, we're going to move on to think about the, the cleanly identified ones uh, right now. Okay? But overall, there is some, some sense, although not a very strong sense, of what's going on. You do see something here, though, which we are going to see again, that the pattern viability is not straightforward. And I'll talk a little bit about that when we come to the, um, the difference in difference. Okay. So, yeah, so those, those simple differences are going to be confounded by all sorts of things. We're going to define late subjects as those in which at least two-thirds of the exams uh, are on dates overlapping the tournament. Um, Non-tournament years, we just take the same calendar dates uh, to define late subjects. So then for each student, we have the difference between their, their performance, the late subjects and the early subjects. Okay? And that is what we're going to focus on and we're going to then compare that across tournament and non-tournament years. And for all sorts of reasons, uh, um, you know, it could well be, as I described earlier, that some people will do better in late ones and some people will do better in early ones. Okay, I don't think I really need to go through this. In a non-tournament year, the only difference that are within student variation between late and early scores is just their own particular pattern of whether they prefer to do, do better on late or early. In the tournament years, you've got the same thing, but then you've got the impact of the tournament. So if we do a difference in difference between these, we get left with the impact of the tournament. Okay. <coughs> this is um, trying to give you a sort of a, a non-parametric view of this to start with. So these are just the, the distribution of this late-early difference across all of our individuals. Um, in tournament and non-tournament years. So what do you see? You see a huge amount of variation. There is a lot of heterogeneity here, um, as we were expecting. You see that, um, on average, it's uh, positive. Uh, most, slightly more of the weight is above zero. And you also see that between football and non-football years, there is a, a, a shift across the whole of the distribution. Okay, that people do... Um, this late-early difference is slightly worse, slightly shifted left in the football years, all the way through the distribution. Okay, so I don't think we're going to be doing anything particularly violent when we kind of linearise this, because the shift is there throughout. Okay, so here's, here's a regression. So what we're doing, the, the unit here is an individual student. Okay, so we have... Um, by the time we've dealt with all the missings, we've got almost 3 million students. And the, um, the dependent variable is that student's difference between their late exams and their early exams. And the, the metric is in um, subject-level standard deviation units. Okay? We, we're including all of our individual controls, plus a few more that I didn't kind of go through. So whether you live in an urban area, uh, for example, whether you live in London, for example, <coughs> are included as main effects and they're interacted with the tournament year. Okay? So this is, the, this is the overall effect of the tournament year. Um, here with no interactions, 
here with interactions with all of these personal characteristics, and in the two right-hand columns also with school fixed effects. So the overall, if we take the far right-hand column as the, maybe the, sort of the, the, the most flexible formulation, you can see that there's, there's a substantial effect of around uh, 0.05 of a standard deviation. Um, for male students, there's an, an additional 0.025. For poor students, uh, 0.019. And then here you get the kind of the, the, the slightly U-shaped, well, the U-shaped pattern in terms of prior attainment. Um, in that students with low prior attainment and also high prior attainment tend to do worse still than those with kind of middle um, prior attainment. The way that we uh, interpret this is that there's two things going on. One of them is that this, this prior attainment is associated with um, different sort of cultural contexts. We know that football in England um, is more associated with as a working class sport than a middle class sport. So on the one hand, we would expect a bigger effect amongst, um, uh, and, and that in turn is, is correlated, we know, with low prior attainment. Low attainment. Um, so we would expect a bigger effect among those groups. On the other hand, if you're, if you're a really kind of low ability student, probably losing an hour of study is not possibly that detrimental. So we're expecting a low effect, sorry, we weren't expecting this, we're, we're interpreting this negative effect as being um, these people are, this is correlated with a culture where you spend a lot of time watching football. And here, this may be true, but particularly these are very high value hours that are lost. Okay. Okay, try, I want to try and um, bring out the heterogeneity a bit more um, and allow for a bigger range of differences. So, so what we did was we, um, uh, in, in this stage at least, we're still using the same 12 rather coarse categories, uh, not poor, poor, boy, girl, or girl, boy, rather, and the three attainment groups. And again, this is, these are just the average within these cells, but now it's the average of this late, early difference. Okay? Difference across tournament and non-tournament years. Right, so these numbers are all negative, and, and again, they're more negative uh, for boys and for girls, and they're more negative for the poor than the non-poor. Um, the overall magnitudes are about the same as they were on, in the regression. So the, the regression, again, is not doing any real damage if we approach it slightly more non-parametrically. Okay, these are all really very well determined. Okay. Uh, so how am I doing? Okay. <coughs> Just taking that one stage further, we want to try and uh, get as much as we possibly can out of our out of our very large data set. So we're going to do some some matching. We're going to take people um, uh, within a particular school um, and define by a set of observables: gender, poverty status, prior attainment, three groups, four groups of broad ethnicity, and quarter of birth. Okay, so I think there's um, I think there's 192 groups there and school. So we've, we're taking a group of people who are female, poor, high prior attainment, Asian, born in the first quarter of the year, in a particular school, and then we find in uh, non-tournament years, and we average there within individual late early difference, and we find the same observable characteristics in the same school in tournament years, take there within individual late early difference, 
and then compare those numbers. Okay? So that really is getting rid of a huge amount of um, potential confounding factors. So yeah, 190, 192 groups actually, times about 2,500 schools. And we can just look at the, the quantiles of that. So we're taking out everything to do with the school, we're taking out everything to do with all of these groups. Okay, so these are the quantiles of those differences within the groups. And you can see these things, all pupils, male, poor, priorability. These are the medians. Okay, they're not going to be exactly the same as the regression because this is, a, this is um, a, di a distribution across groups and it's not weighted. So there'll be some groups that are very large, some groups that are very small. But it's the right order of magnitude. And you can see that there are some groups who are really very strongly affected. Uh, the 5 percentile point for male is point one, minus 0.161. Um, some of those will be uh, poor, some non-poor, and so on. So these are, these are a lot of heterogeneity. Here's another way of showing it. We've now averaged up across all of the schools to give you a, an a, a weighted average effect for each of those 192 groups. Okay, and that's this number here. And then these are standard error bars around each one. So some of the groups are very large. So non-poor white males is a, is a very huge group. So that will be one with very small standard error bars. Uh, some of the groups are very small, big standard error bars. Okay, so that's kind of why it varies so much. So you can see that uh, there are substantial numbers of groups and, and people with effects bigger than 10% uh, of standard deviation. Um, almost all of them are negative, apart from a few at the end, uh, and many of them are well-defined, some of them are not so well-defined because they're very small groups. We look at it by gender, I'm coming towards the end so I'll speed up a little bit, so um, girls, boys, poverty status, um, ability level, so again, you, there's, there's, you know, there's, 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 picture by ability level is, is somewhat complex. <coughs> so um, what might we be missing? <coughs> I think the variable um, is within individual difference is fairly secure. Um, if, if there were lots of selection going on then that might be a problem but I think we've shown that there isn't. Um, through this matching, um, I think if you, if you wanted to disbelieve the matching you'd have to argue that the distribution of unobservable characteristics within a school, within one of these groups, varies and varies systematically in a correlated way with whether there's a tournament going on. I think that's hard to sustain. So we do a variety of robustness checks. We um, try an alternative definition of late. Remember, we defined an exam as late if more than two-thirds of the exams took place during the tournament. Well, let's try a half. Um, the, the average effect is still, is still there, but because we are, I've got a slightly looser definition of late and early, um, the effect is lower. It's 0.033 minus 0.033 rather than minus 0.056. Um, some students sit exams early, so typically a lot of students, well no, some students will take maths a year early to give them more time to study the other ones or to do more exams. If we simply omit those students, uh, those are largely unchanged. If we count 2008 as a tournament year, um, 
we, we get a reduced negative effect for boys and we actually get a positive effect for girls. It's unfortunate because um, so 2008 is an interesting year for the reasons that we discussed earlier, namely that there is a tournament that England weren't playing. It's also unfortunate that it's the one year that science switches to being late, um, which slightly messes things up. So basically I'm, I'm hoping when we get the 2009 and 2010 data, 2008 will just be kind of lost and we'll not need to worry about that anymore. Uh, okay, so we can, we can do something different than just have this dichotomous late and early difference, and we can actually have um, a fixed effects regression um, where we have um, data on each individual subject. Okay, so um, we have uh, around three and a half million uh, students, um, uh, and they take around seven or eight exams each. So we have, a, we have a fixed effect for each student. So again, this is within student variation. But now we're looking at having using all of the individual exams and allowing the proportion of exams that are late to vary continuously. Okay, and this is, this is the different diff. This is the interaction effect, and it's very strongly defined. Um, okay, so this final point is, you know, zillions of observations. Isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful, but we have to remember that what's actually doing the work for us, what's actually identifying this, is um, whether it's a tournament year or a non-tournament year. And we have only got seven tournament years. We have only got seven actual pieces of information at the core of it. So, <coughs> um, so although things are very well defined, that's slightly spurious. So what we want to do is we want to do it a different way and just use time series variation. So what we do is we take our 192 groups, and for each of those 192 groups, we run a seven-observation regression, which is simply picking up um, whether there's a tournament year or not on that late-early difference. Okay, um, and then seeing, looking at the distribution of outcomes of those things. Okay, and uh, and that's this. So uh, something like 70% of these are significant at the 5% level. Um, and you can see that it's the big groups, so like say uh, non-poor, white, females, middle attainment, um, that kind of thing, that are very significant. This is the T-statistic, this is minus 10. Um, the ones that are very small, there are some, we ought to draw a line at a reasonable level of significance, I guess, that are not significant. With seven observations, you probably want to cut me a little bit of slack anyway and think about 10%. But there, and there are some, some of the regressions um, that are not significant. So I wrote down some numbers, which were that... Yeah, so out of 192 coefficients, 185 were negative, um, and of the ones with a p-value of 5% or less, they're all negative. Okay, so there's no uh, evidence of any positive time series effect, and almost all of the evidence is that negative. So I think this does a reasonable job of, of um, kind of nailing the true amount of variation and the true precision with which we can estimate these things. Okay, so uh, how big is big? Are, are these worth having? <coughs> so we have, our, our main results are on this, uh, the effect on late exams relative to early exams, which I think is, I, I, I'm happy with that, I think that's cleanly identified. 
but the whole thing might shift as well as this within within student thing, which is why we need to look at the overall mean score. On average, coursework is about 50% of the total. So the impact on the actual exams, as opposed to the overall grade, is about double the coefficients that we estimated. Okay, so the impact of effort on exam scores is the difference in difference coefficient doubled. The impact on the overall pupil mean GCSE score, which is, which is the thing that's relevant for the what I described as the local policy issue, is um, looking at the impact on the overall score of the student, okay? Which is what I'm trying to illustrate here. Um, <coughs> these are the early exams, these are the late exams, and these are the test scores, okay? And given that there are more early than late, the average is going to be here. So um, what we observe in the overall effect is the difference between the average in tournament years and non-tournament years, that's the overall total effect. Our difference in difference is the, the difference between late and early exams if we account for the, the overall within student variation. So um, in terms of effect sizes, <coughs> the impact of effort on exams uh, from our aggressions, the overall is around 0.13 standard deviation um, on the late exams uh, for a highly effective group so basically adding up all of the big coefficients is about 0.2 um, this, this is doing the whole thing more non-parametrically but you can see that the answers are about the same <coughs> so, that, so that's these are the numbers that you want for the question how much does effort count for your exam score these are the numbers that you want if the question is what's going to happen to the average GCSE grades of students if we move the exams forward a few weeks. So these are 0 0.15, 0 0.25 standard deviations. So, so these are small numbers for sure because these are taking into account the fact that most of the exams, more of the exams are early rather than late. Um, so just, uh, I won't do that because I'm about to finish. These are just saying that, <coughs> that the numbers I just showed you are comparable to some of the big effects out there. This is just summarising it. Uh, <coughs> we have this exogenous change in the value of leisure um, and then we looked at within student variation between uh, during the tournament and before the tournament exams across tournament and non-tournament years. Why does this matter? It matters for two reasons. The local policy issue, maybe we should bring the summer exams forward a few weeks either by making the exams fill a short period of time or conceivably just shifting the whole year a few weeks. That would be a bigger deal. Um, <coughs> I think the um, average effect, the pupil scores on average would increase. Um, students in particular groups of interest would increase. So we would raise the average and reduce inequality, which always seems like a good idea. This, I think, is the, um, kind of the, the big point of the paper trying to understand the role of uh, effort in education. Uh, you know, and the main point I want to get across, it matters a lot. It actually matters a lot. Two otherwise identical students, <coughs> one of whom who works hard in the last month, one of whom who doesn't, they're going to get dramatically different scores, like 0.2 of standard deviations. This, this matters for a number of reasons. Effort is manipulable. You know, we, can do, we know that we can do things um, around effort, sorry, around incentives to try and uh, induce higher effort among students. I think it's really important 
because this is happening to people who are 14, 15, 16 years old. These are not early years. This is suggesting there are interventions that we can do that are effective and cost-effective that, that we can implement kind of after all of those um, supposedly uh, crucial early years. This is the point I made earlier. Um, <coughs> some of the, the Harlem Children's Zone schools, the KIPP schools, charter schools, maybe some academy chains in, this in, in, sorry, in England are um, getting big effects. Why is that? How do we understand that? Maybe it's what they're doing is they're inducing higher effort. Then there's one other little thing I sort of finished the paper with, which is that um, uh, people working in neuroscience say that if you can induce higher effort, that actually has an impact on your cognitive ability directly as opposed to just attainment. Um, there's obviously a lot more we can do. Maybe there's an effect on A-levels. <coughs> Maybe it matters for degrees. Maybe it matters for wages. Maybe it's the case if we have a big enough study with enough data, we'll find that people in England born in even years tend to earn less than people in England born in odd years. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I was born in 1960, so messed up completely. Um, well, yeah, that could be true. Plus, yeah. You have to think about that a little bit. Yeah, you have to think about that a little bit. Okay, the other the obvious thing to look at is... Well, <laughs> you think about other countries. Um, there actually turns out, really irritatingly, uh, not to be any or indeed many or any countries that have important exams during the right period of time. There you go. Collect some time use. We're actually going to um, hopefully try and start a field experiment on student incentives. So I'm just going to leave you with one more slide, which I really like. Exactly right. But maybe he was just great for poor students in England. <laughs> I haven't mentioned that to him yet. Anyway, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Okay, we'll um, take a few minutes for questions or comments from the